You know, God sometimes is like my wife. I have a plan to go one way and he has a plan to go another. So this morning I had planned to be finished with Jonah, um, only to, to realize that there's probably one more moment we need to take um, with this story. You know, we just finished reading through this or preaching through this entire book. Remember Jonah, the story, God talks to him, he runs, he's swallowed by fish, he repents in the fish. He goes to Nineveh, preaches, the entire nation comes to repentance. And we left last week with him pouting underneath a dead leaf, right? I mean, that's kind of where we stopped. This whole story of, of Jonah. Um, but if you remember, my, my, my whole idea, the whole, the whole series was based upon, and that's why I had the words like this, Jonah being a mirror. You know how mirrors reflect. And so the idea was that as we look at the book of Jonah, that we're looking at a mirror that, that we can see ourselves. I mean, that's why I said that's why I like the book of Jonah, because I can see so much of me and so many of my wrestlings in the book of Jonah. But I also believe that this book is another mirror. And I just want to read a passage in the New Testament this morning as we get started, just just to see how what I think how cool God is. Um, we're going to be beginning in Matthew chapter 8 this morning. And um, hopefully in the context of Jonah, this seems rather interesting. I'm going to pray God continue to anoint. And I'm just going to pray that we hear from him. Father, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for our hearts that you've prepared for this morning. And God, we expect to hear from you. We expect to hear your truth. We thank you for the truth that we've already, we've already heard this morning. We ask you continue your work. Help us to hear what you're doing. Help us to see, God, what you desire us to see. Father, for myself, as the pastor, I yield myself to you asking your very truth. Come forth in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew chapter 8. Then he, being Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Let me ask, does that sound familiar? Now, I know that story sounds familiar, but what about in the context of Jonah? Does that sound familiar? I just did this just because I'm pastors and this is what we pastors do. I want to go through these two accounts, the the account of Jonah and the account of Jesus, because I believe that God is doing something really cool, and I want to point it out this morning. Matthew starts with, then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Go to the next slide, Irene. These are the parallels. These are the similarities. I want to look at these two stories kind of lined up next to each other. In Jonah chapter 1, it says, After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarsus to flee from the Lord. So what's the common thing? They're both on a boat. I'm glad we're tracking together. This is going to be interactive for a little while. I'm going to ask for some help. 
Okay, so then what happened? Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 4, The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, but Jonah had gone below deck where he had laid down and fallen to a deep sleep. What are the parallels between the story in Matthew and the story in Jonah? What do we see? They're both on a boat. Now we've got a big storm. Is there anything else? And they're both sleeping. Coincidence, I'm assuming, right? The disciples went down and woke him. Or the disciples went and woke him, I'm sorry, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. In verse 6, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Now, what have they done right before that? They're throwing things overboard because they're afraid of drowning. So we've got Jesus and Jonah are on boats. There's a storm. They're both sleeping. And what's the common theme? They both get woken up. And people in the, in the stories that are surrounding these characters are what? They're scared for their lives. Let's keep going. Jesus, it says, then he got up, he rebuked the winds and waves, and he was completely calm. Verse 15 of that chapter 1, they said they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. What's the common theme? It got calm. Okay, so we got these stories. I got one more. And they're lining up pretty close. You got a, a, a main character who's on a boat. On that boat, he falls asleep. While he's sleeping, a storm comes. People were scared. They wake him up. And somehow, through him, the storm becomes calm by the end of the story, right? The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? This is in Jesus' account. Even... The winds and waves obey him. What did Jonah say? I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord and the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. They both know who controls the sea and the land. You say, Pastor, that's silly. Why would you point that out? (coughs) Again, this morning, my whole premise is that Jonah is a mirror. I want to look at the book of Jonah through the lens of Jesus Christ. You know, often when we read the Bible, how do we read the Bible? Like front to back. Right? And so while we're reading a lot of the stuff in the Old Testament, we're missing the very truth that it's, it's presenting about Jesus Christ. And so what I want us to do this morning is to be able to look back at the book of Jonah, but not look from the beginning to the end, but from the end to the beginning. Because God was doing something. It's pretty remarkable that these stories are so similar. I mean, it's pretty incredible that Jesus is on a boat, that Jonah was on a boat, that they both face these raging seas, that people are frightened to the point of death. These are experienced people, huge storms, and the seas are calm. I mean, these are incredible parallels. There's something that we're supposed to be seeing. Matthew chapter 12. Some of the Pharisees and teacher of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. 
Now look at Jesus' words. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given except for what? The sign of Jonah. Now why is Jesus talking about Jonah? Here we go. A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, the men of Nineveh will stand up uh, against uh, at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is even saying, hey reader, hey listener, look at the story of Jonah. Right? Isn't that... Jesus is telling the Pharisees who are asking for a sign, look, the only sign, now you've got to be clear, I'm not sure what sign they were looking for, but they saw lots of signs, right? This is Jesus who healed. This is Jesus who, who made the lame uh, walk and the blind see. He, he cast out demons. They've seen lots of signs, but they were asking for another. And he's telling them what? You're going to see a sign. What sign are they going to see? The sign of Jonah. What's the deal? Like, what's, what's going on? Why is Jesus pointing at Jonah today? In this conference, or in this conversation, and in this encounter, what is going on? The reality is, if we look at the book of Jonah, and we look, or the prophet Jonah, and we look at Jesus, we can see a, a mirror. It's not just this story. It's not just the encounters on the boat where Jesus and Jonah mirror each other. But the reality is, Jesus is pointing out Jonah. Jonah is a story that the Pharisees understood. Jonah is a story that they'd learned about. The sign of Jonah is something that they had been taught. They've heard about the prophet. They've read the book. They, 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 they heard Pastor preach on it. I mean, they got Jonah. They understood the prophet. And Jesus is saying, what? You esteem this prophet to this place. The sign of Jonah will be revealed in me. So what, what parallels exist beyond the boat? Both were called to preach repentance, right? Matthew chapter 4, from that time Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven has, has come near. Both of them were men who were called or created for the purpose of, of, of preaching to a people about repentance. Both were willing to die to save others. If we continue to look at the parallels between Jesus and, and Jonah, and you might argue with me, but the Father loves me because I give up my life so that I may receive it back. No, no one takes my life from me. Jesus said, I give it up willingly. I have the power to give it up, the power to receive it back again, just as my Father commanded me to do. That's Jesus' words. Jonah said what on the boat? When everyone was afraid of dying, I don't have that up there yet, Irene. But, well, I guess it, it is there, but he tells them what? He says, throw me in. He doesn't say, I'm going to pray to God. What good is is throwing him in the water going to do? He's going to die, right? So if I die, you'll be saved. Is that not the message that that Jonah was speaking to those men on the boat? 
If I die, then you'll be safe. Jesus was communicating the exact same message as he came to earth. He said, if I die, we question why did Jesus have to die? The, the, the forgiveness of sin comes through the shedding of blood. Jesus laid his life down. Why? So that, so that we could be safe. Jonah did the exact same or attempted to do the exact same thing. This is, this is the mirror that we're seeing. Jonah, in chapter 1, said, he told them, throw me into the sea, and it will calm down. I am the cause of this terrible storm. They threw Jonah overboard, and the sea calmed down. Both died at the hands of those they were trying to save. I love this, because, you know, like, Jonah doesn't say, hey, like, if I jump in the water, you'll be saved, does he? Do you see this parallel? Like, like in that point, Jonah could have just like plugged his nose and did a cannonball into the sea with the, with the sailors, right? I mean, seriously. His whole point was he had to get in the water so that they would be safe. He had to die so that they would be safe. But he told them, why would he say, you throw me? I mean, I guess he's probably freaking out. And if I'm coming out of an airplane, you're going to have to push me out even if I got a parachute on my back? I don't know if it's that idea. But the reality that, that's here is that, that, that I think that we need to see the parallel that's being spoken about is at the hands of those he was trying to save is how the prophet died. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The chief priest answered and finally Pilate handed over him over to them to be crucified. At the very hands of those he was sent to save is, is how the prophet died. But, but why? Like, what's, what's going on? There was this sign of Jonah that we read about. Jesus said, the only sign you're going to see is what? The sign of the Jonah. What was the sign of Jonah? Fish, right? Belly of a whale, right? That's deep. That's dark. That's a place of not good. Death, right? What was the sign? Three days and three nights, he said, Jonah was in in the belly of the fish, right? Right? That's the sign that you'll see. Three days and three nights, Jesus was where? In the tomb. Three days and three nights. And then what happened? He came forth from the tomb, right? Three days and three nights, Jonah was in the belly of a whale. And then after three nights, he came forth from from that which had entombed him. They both were entombed for three days and they both arose after three days. But you know what's funny about mirrors is everything's not always the same. Right? Try and write your name in a mirror. Mess with your brain. It's like backwards. There are some things that that with Jonah and Jesus, they don't seem to line up. Jesus even talks about that. The men of of Nineveh will stand up a judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. 
What happened when Jonah preached? The entire nation repented, right? What happened when Jesus preached? Huh? Those same people plotted to kill him. Some got saved, some responded, but not a lot. Remember, and he's standing there and he says, uh, this teaching is teaching about communion. And those who had followed him, he started talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. And, and he says, is this teaching too hard? Then go. And all of them left. And Jesus is standing there like a miserable failure is what we would say. Right? The mirror. Now Jesus is what? He said, I'm better than Jonah. I mean, he said it. I'm not saying it. He said, it. I'm better than him. One greater than him is here, and they all repented. Now, he's comparing the Pharisees to the Ninevites, and he says, now, if they repented and, and they responded to Jonah's teachings, what's it going to look like when you're standing next to them because you couldn't hear one that was greater than him? Here's the mirror. They spoke the truth. <laughs> the Ninevites responded wholeheartedly. They, they repented completely. In the Israelites or the Jewish people, they didn't really do that. Some did, most didn't. The mirror, what happened? Where did we end last week? I, I mean, this is where the parallel, I think, is it, it's astounding almost. We ended with Jonah building a shelter. Why? Jonah built his little shelter so he could sit there and watch God bomb Nineveh, right? Jonah, that was his point. I mean, God, why are you angry? He's, God asks him. He's mad because God is gracious and compassionate. But he's going to build himself his little shelter there and watch what? The destruction of God come on the people he was sent to reach. What was Jesus' response when he saw the town? Jonah wanted to see destruction. Jesus, as he approached Jerusalem, saw the city, and he wept. Talk about a mirror. Like angry Jonah and crying Jesus. What's, what's going on? What is, what is God showing through all this? The, the big question is, is this why? Like why, Pastor, are you spending all this time telling me the likes and differences between Jonah and Jesus? Like I'm not getting where you're going. I'm not really tracking with with what you're laying down. The reality that I want to talk about today is the sovereignty of God. I don't know if Jesus is on a boat because of Jonah or Jonah was on a boat because of Jesus, but I know that God used the story of Jonah to speak the truth about Jesus who was coming. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not sure that Jesus got on a boat because of Jonah. And I don't know if Jonah had to go through what he went through because of Jesus. But what I know is that God aligned it so that we could see truth in who Jonah was. That the Israelites, the Jewish people who esteemed this prophet Jonah, who, who revered the prophet Jonah, who, who thought this sign was an incredible, miraculous sign that maybe could never be repeated. What if? I mean, this is my supposition. What if all of that happened so their eyes could have been opened on that day that Jesus revealed? Hebrews chapter 10. Look at what God says about what was. The law, which is the Old Testament, right? It's only a shadow of the good things that are coming. 
not the realities of, of themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices um, repeated un, un, endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. What was he saying about the law? We read the Old Testament and we get lost in the law, right? It's only a, a shadow. What was the law going to be done? What was going to happen to the law through Jesus Christ? It was going to be fulfilled. All that law was, was a shadow of what was coming. The first half or two-thirds of this book are what? A shadow of what will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so Jonah is simply a shadow of what's going to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. We talked about Jonah probably would be considered at the end of chapter 4 as a failure because his heart was in the wrong place. Jesus was going to fulfill this perfectly. Colossians chapter 2, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. There's so much that we miss because we're not looking for the fulfillment of the shadow. We read the old and we miss how God took that. How God, the word that I keep thinking of is orchestrated all of this. The orchestration of God is absolutely incredible. That's 700 years before Jesus came, he had a prophet speak that was going to be swallowed by a fish that would be a shadow of what was going to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. That's some planning. We miss that. We don't connect Jonah and Jesus. We read about Moses or Joseph and we don't think about kinsmen, redeemers or those kind of things. We miss what God is revealing. We talk about the law and the sacrifices that have to be paid, but we miss the connection of the Passover lamb. There's so much that we miss that was written. We're not the only ones who are missing. John chapter 5. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that do what? What scriptures are they? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? What scriptures is Jesus saying are the ones that testify about him? That's the old, guys. He's the fulfillment of the old. You say that, that, that in them you have eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to life. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? Like you've been reading it all along. He says this again on, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, where they're without hope and, and they're confused. He said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, And the Psalms, where are those books? 
everything must be fulfilled, Jesus said, that was written about me. They were writing about him when they wrote the book of the books of Moses. They were writing about him when they wrote the books of, of, of Proverbs. They were writing about him when, they both the, when, the, when the prophets were speaking and, and, and when the Psalms were being written. Jesus is in that. Then he opened their minds and they could understand the scriptures. My prayer is that as we read the truth, the word, the whole word, he opens my mind. And you know what happens a lot of times when God opens your mind? He blows your mind. And then you're in a place like pastors where you're trying to explain how totally cool this is and your words are insufficient to explain the sovereignty of God through Jonah and Jesus. But you just want people to get how cool it is that God was working before Jesus came, that he could speak a truth to people so that they would understand. God has been testifying since the very beginning of time. God's in control. We heard Isaiah chapter 40. The orchestration, that one piece isn't missing. You know, I don't know, again, was, was Jesus a reaction to the Jonah story or was Jonah uh, uh, God's in control? And God is orchestrating and God is since the beginning of time preparing for the moment that we're in today do you hear that I think about my life the orchestration of God 10 years ago I was teasing a guy about being from Nebraska I mean, he used to tease me about being from Kentucky. I told him he was crazy. He was from Nebraska. He was from Lincoln or Omaha. I mean, he wasn't even from rural Nebraska. Ten years ago, I couldn't find Crawford on a map. But God. Twenty years ago, I thought I was going to be a doctor. I was convinced that's what God wanted me to do. But God. 30 years I knew who God was, but I didn't have a relationship with Him. I think about my life and I think about all that God has done. I think about all the things that He's done. Think about us in this room. What are the odds that we could be assembled together this morning? There were so many things that had to happen. There were so many circumstances, good and bad. There might have been fish that swallowed us and there might have been times we felt like we were spit up on the shore. But God is sovereign and He's brought us to this place this day. He brought me to a place, whether it was through a different different woman that I married or not, where I could hear the truth. Thank God for her. Sometimes we, we miss all the dots that God's been connecting. We read the book because we've read it so many times and we don't see the beauty of His hand working. 
sometimes we miss. Sometimes we forget about and we become despondent or without hope, just like the disciples were on the road to Emmaus or Jonah was as he was sinking down because we've forgotten about how sovereign our God truly is. And there's things that don't make sense and we wonder why this is happening. Maybe it's not happening for you today. Maybe it's happening for your child 30 years from now. We're so focused on me. Jonah's saying, why me? Like, why do I have to go through all this? So Jesus could use it as, a, as an illustration when he comes? I mean, that seems silly. God's in control. God is sovereign. One of my favorite verses, pastors say this all the time, I mean it. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture Romans chapter 8, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. It's the all things. That's what happened long before I was here. You know, because I could have gone to that same place right there on Highway 27 in northern Kentucky, and there may have never been a church there had there not been in all things before I got there. You know, if someone hadn't shared the truth with, with Aronda Fields, who was my, who was my youth pastor, and, and her husband James, who was my pastor at the time, if someone hadn't worked in their lives, then how would I have ever heard the truth? That's the all things. If that's happened, they were old people. I mean, she had gray hair then. She's really old now. I hope Rhonda doesn't listen to this because she's pastoring still. But anyway, if you are, sorry, Rhonda. That's the all things. And sometimes that's when our minds can be blown when we see how precious we've been to him in all that he's aligned so that I might be able to hear all that he's done in your life so that you may be able to hear and experience his truth this morning, what he's done maybe even this day so you would be in this place so that we could experience his presence in worship and you could see him confirm his word before pastor ever preached because God is in control. Romans chapter 1 Ever since the world was created. That's the all things. People have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. I love it. Since the beginning of the world, God has been revealing his divine nature. It didn't start with Jesus Christ. It's since the very beginning. The book of Hebrews, I believe it is, calls Adam a type or a model for Christ, right? How early is that? That's about as beginning as it gets. Since the beginning of creation. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities his eternal power, his divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. This morning we talked about Jonah as a mirror for Jesus. Just as an illustration, all that was a, a build up to the, to the true reality of what is God modeling in your life? You know, how is God working for you? 
What is God doing so that you'll see? How has he been revealing and, and, and orchestrating? What has he been moving and shifting? And maybe sometimes those shifts and moves have caused you frustration and trials. But what has God been doing to get you to where you are this morning? You guys can come forward. Sometimes we need ah moments. And sometimes we need a pastor to be quiet. And I'm just going to encourage you as as the worship team plays and, and even sings, don't worry about what they're singing, but let yourself think about you. You know, think about what God has been doing in your life. Think about what God has, has been changing or how he's, he's, he's shifted things or, or conversations that have happened or people who've come across your path or, or, or people that are, are tragedies or whatever it took to get you to where you're at. Not so you could hear some, some guy from Kentucky talk bad about Nebraska, but so you could hear God say, I love you. We're going to think about how complicated all the connections are. You know, if you take off that cover of your computer and you see all those wires and boards and just one of them screwed up and <laughs> the whole thing didn't work. When I think about how many connections I just get lost. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God, since the beginning of creation, desired to know me. I'm thankful that God, since Adam... has been designing the restoration of relationship that I might be able to know Him. I'm thankful for people who are willing to to do what God said them to do. I'm thankful for all this because God is in control. God, we come to You this morning and we just pray. Revelation. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just reveal. We may think we're not that complicated, but I pray, God, you begin to open up our eyes. We may say, I'm just here because mom and dad made me come. It's way more than that. It's so much greater than that. We may say, I'm just here because this is what I've always done. God, there's, there's something that you've done to bring us to a place that we could know you. I pray, God, that we can begin to see. You open the eyes 
of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You opened their eyes so that they could see. God, I pray you open our eyes so that all those, those books that have been written, the Old Testament and the books that have been written in our life, God, that the truth that you've been speaking, that you've been shouting, that you've been demonstrating through your glory and creation, through, your, through the loved ones that are around us, God, that it, that it becomes a revelation, a fresh revelation of you to our hearts and minds this morning. As they lead us in a course, I realize that we haven't had a time for prayer yet this morning. I want to be able to pray with you because that's part of the connection of God. Maybe God brought you here this morning so that need could be met in your life. Maybe God brought you here this morning so that you could experience His love as people who care about you genuinely pray for you. Whatever it is that you may have need of, we can ask the Father in Heaven, that gracious, compassionate Father, and believe the fullness of His love, the the revelation of salvation, the understanding of forgiveness, whatever we might have need of this morning, that we can experience it because of what God has done. The altars are open. God is good, amen? You know, I got my iPad. It's got spit all over it right now, so don't look at the spit marks. But if I do this on my iPad... Later on today, I'm going to see a little fingerprint. My prayer is that this week, as you process, that you begin to see the fingerprints of God in your life. That you can see those moments where He touched you. I think about, and this is, uh, I'm not going to preach again, I promise, but those bombs, we've seen it this week, the bombs that were going around. You know how they found out who the bomber was? There was a fingerprint on one bomb. All it took was seeing one fingerprint, and they recognized His true identity. And so my prayer is is that you're going to see a fingerprint of God, that you see his fingerprints in your life, and you see all those places that he's been touching so you know his true identity. Amen? The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and grant you his peace. And may you see how beautiful all that God has done, the orchestration of the Almighty in your life. Amen? Be blessed.